Hello, you are listening to the High Performance Nursing Podcast with me, Liam Caswell, where I help clinicians just like you take control of their careers and remove all the things stopping you from achieving your biggest goals. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to this episode of High Performance Nursing. I'm so excited that you're here with us today. Thank you for your time. Today I've got an amazing guest all the way from Vancouver, Canada. Hello, Jess Lucia. How are you? (laughs) Good. I'm so happy to be here. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. And what's so funny is that literally I just pronounced your name perfectly and then I just stopped it up. Anyway. I put the bug in your head, though, because I complimented you your perfect pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, so I knew you we'll, meant what you meant. <laughs> we'll keep we'll keep that in. You know, it's raw. I love it. So, Jess, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Jess um, and her career to date. So, Jess has had what she describes as a very exciting career in healthcare over the last 15 years. She's worked in various nursing positions, both direct care and leadership, from community to acute care and back. Her career trajectory hasn't been linear, which I love, and we'll dive into that. She went from frontline leadership back to the bedside and then from management to an educator position whilst building her coaching and mentorship practice. She's changed positions based on what works best for her life at the time, trying to do work that feels healthy and aligned. We're going to get on really well. Jess is passionate about helping nurses find or create a career that fits uh, well with how they actually want to live their life, not what they feel like they should do. Oh, that is so good. That is so, so good. And we are kindred spirits, like I said earlier, for sure. We're both doing the God's work (laughs) in this space. I love that. So in terms of your story so far, obviously you've had lots of changes and lots of up, like ebbs and flows. And like you say, it's not linear. Um, it is for sure a, uh, it's a journey. That's what I usually say on the podcast. It's a journey. Tell us a little bit about your career to this point, because moving from leadership back to bedside positions would be kind of uncommon uh, here in Australia. Tell us about your experience of that. Yeah. Um, so I was working in two different frontline leadership positions. One was an educator position and the other one was a coordinator position. And they were both really great experiences. They were in the community and I had never worked in acute care. And I just had this itch that I wanted that well-rounded experience. And so this is when people say you need to start and get two years of acute care experience before you do anything else. I'm a big believer that you do not need to. You can Mm. always go back and do it if you really want to. But for a lot of people, they have no desire to ever work in acute care. Um, Most of my work has been in the community. And there's so many nurses that from when they start nursing school, they know that they want to work in the community. So to sort of tell those people that they need to work in in acute care first doesn't really make any sense. And especially like just in terms of their mental health, like nights do not work well for a lot Mm. of people. Weekends often don't work well for people. The shift work schedule doesn't work well. The environment, so many different aspects of that hospital environment don't work for people. And for some people, it does work great. So it's, Mm. it's really doing what is important to you, what aligns with your values, what is meaningful work to you and what you really want to be doing, what brings you joy and not that every moment of your day is going to be joyful 
as a nurse. That's not a realistic goal, but overall tipping, you know, more positive feelings towards your work than negative, I think is what's really key. Mm, Yeah, I love that. It's so true. It's so funny. That kind of narrative is global. Like Mm -hmm. it is the same here in Australia. It's the same in the UK where I trained as a clinician. And it's obviously the same in Canada um, where the general rule is you finish your degree. And it seems like the universities just have this one vision for all of their graduates. Maybe it's like a measurable outcome of something of success for the universities. I'm not sure. But it's this idea that the graduate program or whatever it may be in Canada is held at this high regard and it has to be med search for them to be able to get into the workforce and to build a career. Yeah, yeah. And I still, I thought maybe that narrative was going away, but I recently started in an educator role. And now every week I see at least two nursing students, two different new nursing students I've never met. So I ask this question a lot and they still get that message that, you know, they need to do that. And I think it's kind of that overvaluing of which are very important, but like the hard nursing skills over the softer relational, interpersonal, you know, conflict resolution, de-escalation, like supporting people in their environment, Mm. that overvaluing of the hard skills when I think those other skills are so really so valuable too. So back to your original question, mm. which was, so I, I wanted to try acute care. It was just something I was really curious about. So I did that for a couple of years. It was never my intent to stay there long-term. It was an amazing experience. It was a very challenging learning curve to work mm-hmm. as um, a nurse in the community for five or six years and then go to acute care. And, you know, people... I wasn't a new grad, so people mm. expected me to be fully functioning. So it was it was quite a learning curve. I had some really amazing coworkers that were super supportive that really helped get me through. But I got that experience, and then I had a lot of like chronic physical symptoms over the time I worked in acute care that it just yeah. like night shifts don't work with for me. I don't sleep after night shifts. The experience was great, but like working nights doesn't work for me long term. So Mm. I ended up um, finding a role in the community again. It was a different leadership position called a professional practice lead. Um, I did that for a couple years and I had some during COVID too. So I had some interim roles in there just with shifts during COVID, an interim management position. So a lot of really great experiences doing that. And Mm. um really grateful for those experiences. And then I wanted to be a little bit more focused on my business, but still be working in the healthcare system. Um, so I found a job that is, I don't know if you say it the same way we say a 0.6 FTE, which means it's oh, yeah. yep. it, okay. So it's three yep. days a week, um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, eight Amazing. to four works really great with my schedule. Um, and, I'm not, it's work that I'm quite familiar with and I have the salt, like a solid skill set to do. So the learning curve wasn't as steep. Um, it was, mm. you know, a lot of the, the manager that I'm working with, I had a pre-existing relationship or really good relationship. I knew it would be a really good fit. And just in terms of me having the autonomy that I wanted and that trust there. And I think that is really important. Um, just having leaders that are, um, 
really who we want to be working with and fostering a culture that we want to be working in, especially when you're going into frontline leadership, um, Mm. that can make or break your experience who your manager or director is moving into those positions. So yeah, that's always a really important factor for me. Mm, yeah, don't we know that? We all have some pretty terrible stories of uh, frontline managers that maybe shouldn't be managers. Um, but I love that we've dived, we've dove straight into talking about how your career doesn't have to be this linear approach. And I love that that's what you've led with because it obviously is what you can, you practice what you preach ultimately. And I, for one, likewise have not followed uh, a kind of very straight path. Um, and I work with a lot of nurses as a coach, like you do also, I'm sure. And you work with clients who say, oh, my God, I can't go for this opportunity because when I go here, I'm going to, it's a step back in my career. Or when I go to clinical leadership, like I can never come back. Like, what if I don't like it? What would you say to those people? Like, what's your experience with that? You can always go back. <laughs> um, sometimes is the short, simple answer. Sometimes, I mean, I think we do have to check our ego when these things happen. And I think getting really curious about what's arising that makes you think you can't go back. So, I mean, sometimes there might be some interesting dynamics depending on if it's like this same unit that you're on. So if you were working as a manager on a unit and then wanted to go into a direct care position on that unit. There might be some problems there just in terms of folks that you've had to discipline and that sort of thing. But there are lots of options within the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, like, you don't, I I wouldn't get too hung up on that. You could always move to, you know, a different area and and go back. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, it it has at certain points come up for me just in terms of, um, the way that you think as a leader is a bit different. So sometimes when you do go into those direct care roles, you do need to remind yourself like, this is the scope of my work now. And these Mm -hmm. other things I may, you know, be able to give feedback around, but ultimately I don't have control over. So you need to be okay with the level um, where you're having an impact within the organization. So some people, you know, really love that like one-on-one impact with between the you know, the nurse and the the patient, they they love that impact. Some people like the impact of the day to day flow, like in a coordinator position, or, you know, influencing in terms of like education, and you know, those sorts of things. And then some people like that management or director level impact that depending on your role can look a bit different, because I know different Mm. organizations are set up differently in terms of how much um, span you would have in, in those positions. So I think it's important to think about like, what's coming up that's making you actually think like, I can't go back. Because if it's a fundamental change in the way that you're thinking, and you don't want to be um, impacting on that one to one level so much, and you want to be influencing on that broader level, then you, you might struggle to go back. But I don't think that's the thing that people worry about. I think it's Mm. more of like, you know, I've been in this role now, what will it look like if I go mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. where, um, yep. yeah, I think it's just good to like dig into that and get curious about it because we are never stuck at one level. Mm, I love that so much because stuck is a word that people love to use. Us nurses, we love that word. We love saying that we're stuck and that there are no options and that like 
everybody else outside of us are like unicorns that you know have all of these opportunities that just land on their lap, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, you know, in my coaching, we talk about getting unstuck and realizing that it is usually you know the individual that is holding themselves back from these opportunities because, like you say, it is that external mind drama, all of the things that we can't control that are actually driving your decision making versus just actually being aligned to what it is that you need and getting curious about that as an individual. So I love, love, love that you talk about that. Obviously, that's probably a natural progression into the work that you do as a coach. And you obviously have an amazing clinical background over the last 15 years. But I'm curious, what led you into coaching and mentoring for healthcare professionals? Tell us a bit about that. Mm. So my first exposure to a coach or the coaching industry ever was my massage therapist had gotten into coaching and had kind of been just floating different things, different ideas in my head as we were, you know, as she was giving me my massages and she had a very (laughs) grounded approach and she approached her practice in a way that it was very holistic. It was very looking at the root of things, asking a lot of questions and really encouraging the person to reflect, which is kind of uncommon for a massage therapy practice, but it was, Mm -hmm. I I really (laughs) liked her approach. And then I ended up starting to coach with her a bit. Um, I, you know, she was my coach and I was the coachy and it was a pretty big transition period for me when that happened. And then I was thinking about this the other day. So when I thought about first being a coach, I was working in acute care. I was working with a nurse who had been, when I started there, I asked her like, Oh, how long have you been working here? And she said, longer than you've been born. And I thought she was exaggerating on that one unit. Um, she was not exaggerating. She had started there two years before I was born. Um, (laughs) and I wasn't that young. (laughs) Um, so, uh, and I was about to be leaving that unit and I was starting to look for different positions. And I had just said to her, cause she seemed to enjoy the work, but she was, didn't, seem super engaged in the work or super passionate about the work, but like, like didn't mind going to work, you know, enjoyed taking care of people, was a good mentor, which, you know, people get, not everyone needs the same thing out of nursing. And that really worked Mm. for her. But I asked her like, what would you be if you weren't actually a nurse, if you did something else? And she told me her answer and and then she asked, what would you be? And I, w- I was thinking about it. I'm like, I would be a coach, like a life coach. <laughs> and mm-hmm. she's like, oh, okay. And then that was just like the kind of the seed <laughs> was planted in my head. And then about a year later, I just decided to enroll in a coaching course. I had looked at a few different Mm. ones and um, I finished my coaching course in maybe about a year and a half. And then it took a while for me to actually decide who I was going to focus on in my coaching practice. So initially I wasn't working with nurses and I, you know, was kind of exploring a couple different things and just being a general life coach, which is you know, it's it's pretty broad when you're trying to target mm. everyone, you're really targeting no one and speaking to no one. So it was <laughs> it was um not uh not the most focused time in my life. Mm-hmm. But it's all learning. And then mm-hmm. I eventually decided that 
it was like nurses who are who I love working with. I did a lot of mentorship in previous during my work as a nurse. And I often had nurses coming to me anyway, like nurses I had worked with a couple of years before and they would say, Hey, I'm applying to my master's. Can you help me out with this? Or I'm about to do an interview. Do you mind helping me with some questions? Do you mind looking at my resume? Mm. So people were coming to me anyway, and I was always offering myself up like, Hey, if you want help with that, I'm super happy to help with that. So it just like, it was the best fit. And I'm so Mm. happy that I made that decision. And I say coaching and mentorship because they are very different. And there is the coaching piece of things is much more really focusing on the person's resources and eliciting those. Whereas the mentorship is more of like, okay, well, you know, this is what's going on for you right now. And based on my experience and what I know and have seen mm. through all my nursing practice, like this is what might help you. Um, because sometimes when you don't know, like you don't know. And no matter how much coaching and questioning and eliciting, you know, the person's deepest resources, like you just don't know something. <laughs> so it's that combination, <laughs> I think, that is really helpful for a lot of nurses who do feel like we've talked about stuck and like, you know, Mm. there's one path that they need to take and it needs to be kind of a a linear trajectory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. I'm just in awe of the fact that like this coaching thing just kind of happened for you. Like, obviously it was naturally happening around you and I can like relate to that. That is literally my story. I literally had the same experience, literally the same as you. Everybody coming, be like, Liam, Liam, help me with this. Liam, help me with that. And I'm like, sure, not a problem. And just for people listening, you know, if those things are happening in your life, like pay attention to them. It's, it's, it's indicating a skill set to you that you might not be actually like consciously aware of that other people see in you. And that for me was a moment where I went, hold on a minute, like I can actually help people do this and, and also create a life kind of create an intentional life that I want to live moving forward. Um, So hence why I'm here and hence why you're here, which is just fabulous. So in terms of your coaching practice, your life coach, I'm curious, how do you feel as a clinician, like registered nurse, do you have any mind drama? I call it mind drama around that transition from being like an RN. I know you still are an RN, but to then calling yourself a life coach, because as a nurse, for me, I identify so strongly as that. And I have, been unpacking that and kind of moving away from that over the last few years so that my identity isn't wrapped up in Liam, the registered nurse. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to know your thoughts about Mm -hmm. that or your experiences. Yeah. So I don't use, it was a life coaching course that I did, but I don't use that term for myself. I do use nurse coach and mentor. There can be a lot of drama in that shift away from what you do know and your identity as you know. And I think that's a really beautiful time to like look and see what's there. And as nurses, we are, it's so much more than a job. A lot of times, like you don't leave Mm -hmm. being a nurse at work. Like it's your identity. It's your friends are, you know, it's, it's really, I feel like there's a deep connection between just like your full life and being a nurse. Um, And hopefully you do find ways to leave work. at work Mm. um but it's like that title doesn't leave you when you leave your job one thing that i struggled with and i don't know if you can relate to this at all but it was being such a highly regulated profession you know there's a college of 
nurses for every mm. province in Canada. And there's, you know, we have our health professions acts, we have our college, we have our organization that further regulates things into coaching, which is unregulated. And mm. my work as a professional practice lead was also specifically around regulation and scope and role in that. So then making this transition to the unregulated area was where a bit of the struggle mm. was. And like, can I actually do it? Like, is it okay for me to do this? And, mm. you know, and there is like the coaching field is so like anyone can say they're a coach and, you know, they <laughs> wake up one day, they're a business coach. They don't know the first thing about business. I mean, there's obviously tons of really amazing coaches out there. So I'm not, it's just, yeah. it's something to be mindful of. And, you know, but I think that's where I struggled more personally around that transition. I think to a part of it for me is like, I didn't, I don't know about you, but when I was young, I like never dreamed of being a nurse. It was not like a calling or anything. It was very much like a, Hey, this job is going to give me a lot of opportunities and a lot of room for movement. (laughs) And I really like that idea and a living wage, which is also great. So that was kind of like, I, I don't know if people like if they did grow up with like feeling like it, it was such a calling, if they would feel differently. Mm, yeah, I think you raise a good point there because, I, I mean, grief is maybe like a really kind of, I don't know, strong word to use, but I do certainly feel, I know you're still working clinically in, in, in education, but for me, I do kind of grieve a little bit of my clinical life. I think because I grieve the loss of that identity, like I'm still an RN, of course, like the other day a guy fell on the street as I was walking home and I'm like straight into action. I'm like, don't worry, Liam's here and, you know, fixing it all up. But there is a sense of loss when you do finally move on. And I feel like maybe that's a protective mechanism in a lot of people that are thinking like I'm stuck. But if I take the leap and go and do something that's non-clinical or completely outside of nursing, then like that's my identity. That's been my identity for the last 10, 15, 20 years. Because we do like I'm a nurse. It's the first thing we all say. I'm just a nurse, which is even worse. Mm. And I think that people do struggle to let that go. And I'm curious in Canada what it's been like for you guys, because here there is a mass shift. People are leaving left, right and center. People don't want to be in the industry anymore. Uh, They've had enough for sure. And then they're now sitting here going, but I'm stuck. Like I can't. Um, And they're in that kind of safety zone of like, well, it's better here than maybe what it is outside. So what's happening in Canada in, in that kind of Yeah, I think similar. It's, I mean, based on what I can see and just seeing what's happening in the States too, it just seems like, you know, a big period of transition for healthcare. And I think, I think there, a part of it is that the system has been broken for a long time and COVID is just exposing so much. And it's interesting because sometimes I think about how like it being in a female dominated profession really impacts that. Today, I was chatting with some people about how like a lot of nurses have the expectation that they go to work 30 minutes early unpaid. Like you, you need to be there 30 minutes before the start of your shift. And like, I did that for years and I never Mm, really like, there was moments of questioning it, but overall, and I quickly, like very quickly did the math today. So don't quote these numbers, but you can easily (laughs) do the math for yourself. But if you even Mm. give 30 minutes unpaid every shift and you're working 12 hour shifts and you're working and you have four weeks of vacation a year, that's like 
two full weeks unpaid that you're at work Mm. with just that 30 minutes. And for a lot of nurses, it could be a lot more than 30 minutes because there's a lot of nurses who aren't taking Mm -hmm. breaks, who stay late and they work in places where they're like, no, no OT or OT needs to be overtime needs to be approved in advance, which like may not just be like, they might not have planned it. And it's just the way that the day goes when you have someone with chest pain five minutes before your shift ends and you know, all of that stuff. So I think some of those things, people are like, this isn't okay. Like these expectations aren't okay. And I don't want to do this anymore. So yeah, I think a lot of people are just looking at other options. Um, and then a lot just feel mm. stuck. Like you said, it's like, I can't go anywhere. I hate what I'm doing, but there's nothing else for me. And I know depending on where you are, cause sometimes if you're in like more rural areas, you may have less options, but you you would have mm. less options across any sector if you're in that area, or it would be non-existent. But like, I'm in a major city in Canada, so there are so many options. And even if you are ruled, there's still home care nurses, there's still public health nurses, probably there's still, you know, those, mm. those different opportunities. So I think it's sometimes just feeling limited by what we do know. That kind of keeps people where they're at but yes definitely a lot of people like leaving Mm. the profession Mm. yeah there are some very scary statistics around about burnout Mm. and nurses leaving the profession and not only that uh, the number of nurses that we have as a shortfall moving forward which is just terrifying Mm -hmm. what do you think the solution is like what do you think i know that's a really loaded question but what do you think the um industry could be doing organizations could be doing to help start rectifying this issue I think meaningfully focusing on supporting and promoting the wellness of their staff. I know there's a lot of like, keep everyone safe, get your flu shot, wash your hands, like that sort of stuff. But then in terms of like, Mm. actually staying well, it's pretty, sometimes it feels like it's a bit of a checkbox what's offered or it's like non-existent. I know there were like some meditation courses offered at lunchtime, but it's not accessible. Who's getting lunch? <laughs> <laughs> like it's not like if you're running around doing your work all day, like you can't necessarily go from 12 to 1230 to, mm. to do this. Or it's like, oh yeah, there's this opportunity, but then there's no coverage or no support, like no coverage on the unit to actually like go to that session or it's, it doesn't, it's set up to be there as something people can do, but it's just not that accessible. Mm. And I know in a lot of other industries, like, I know I have friends who work in like tech and they have like stipends for like wellness stipends. So they get their gym memberships covered or yeah, not that gym memberships are the answer for everyone, but different things Mm. like that to promote people's wellness. I think also like more coaching and mentorship within organizations for like direct care staff, frontline nurses to Mm. actually like support them in finding what they want, like where they fit in best within the system and to be able to maintain a life-work balance. I know some organizations do offer coaching, but it's often for like leadership level and not for direct 
care staff. So that, that I think would be really helpful or, and like different sort of like focused initiatives to like help prevent burnout and help nurses develop communication skills. Cause we talk a lot about like the importance of setting boundaries, but being able to communicate your boundaries is essential in setting boundaries. And mm. I think also the other piece, sometimes when nurses do finally like, you know, figure out, okay, I need to stand up for myself. It's when they're at a point that so much is bottled up that it comes out like aggressive because it's just like, mm. F you, like, you know, you've screwed me over for mm-hmm. so long and now I'm speaking up for myself. Whereas like, you know, if, if we talk about like communication earlier, talking about like actually doing it to advocate your, to yourself, not to like stick it to the man. So mm. I think, I think supporting people with like all of those things could be really helpful. And also like pay people raise wages with inflation. And, mm. you know, if we think about like the trades, I don't know how the pay is in Australia, but trades in Canada, like, you know, plumbers and all that, like they make so much more an hour and not that they should be paid any less, but like, I think that, mm. you know, and that goes into like a female dominated versus male dominated profession as well. Mm. You know, it, I, I personally think it would make sense to be at least on par. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the level of responsibility itself is just immense, isn't that, in the work. And I think that's where a lot of us get stuck. I know I do. I mean, my partner is amazing, but he uh, he works for the government. And um, I just think, oh, my God, like, I go to work every day and I could be saving somebody's life today. Uh, or, you know, something. it doesn't even have to be that dramatic. Like, just, you know, looking after a patient in palliative care in the community and just giving that beautiful experience to the family that will hold on to that forever surely that is worth more than like adding another bolt to the the plumbing under your sink um but you know society we, we don't value it as highly it is crazy insane i'm so glad that you touched on coaching in the workplace because i think that in my opinion that's a missing piece one of the missing pieces and i agree it should be at the ground level for the staff um as a practice as a leader and I don't know. Sometimes I even controversially think that in, in Australia here that we should potentially explore having non-clinicians as managers of the wards. Like ultimately they are business, like you need to have that connection, but their business, like it is a business model ultimately. Um, and having someone that can understand that or at least invest in nurses so that they can actually be better leaders. Cause I don't know in Canada, but here there's no training. <laughs> so, you know, what do you do? You go up and then you manage a budget of $4 million and you have 50 staff complaining to you that it's not good enough and that they're not getting their breaks and then all of a sudden a Domino's pizza arrives from the executive and you're supposed to just be happy yeah yeah I think that's really important that what you touched on like supporting nurses I'm nurse managers (laughs) clinician managers Mm. um Mm. but I mean that business piece of it is so important and all those other skills that go along with it and we do have some training sometimes depending on where kind of you fit in like you might have different Mm. levels of training but yeah I think that's so critical to like and and to foster those skills earlier on because I know sometimes like I'll talk to a nurse who's been a nurse for five years and they're like oh well I can't go into a leadership position yet because I don't have enough experience and it's like well 
You have five years of experience. And this is also a completely different skill set. Because even if you take the nurse who's been a nurse for 25 years, that doesn't mean that they're going to be a good leader. They may have a lot of skills that Mm. could transfer into that. But it's also like a whole other set of skills that um, I think we need to be fostering er early on in people. And I don't really think like I know there's some opportunities, some places to kind of build those skills, but I don't think it's something that's really offered widely enough to support people and having managers who can, you know, help foster that in people. But depending on the manager's um, portfolio, if they're managing, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. 300 people, they're not really going to have, they're not even going to know people well enough to to foster those Mm. leadership skills or to tap them and say, Hey, I think you would make a good leader and, you know, support them to move in that direction. Mm. It's so challenging when you're kind of in the middle, for sure, around being able to support everybody, do your job, manage the budget, manage the staffing day to day, the complaints from the Human Rights Commission, like all of the things that come through as a manager that people just don't know. They don't understand that you're dealing with so many moving parts. Um, And then you've got to manage 30 patients care, 30 relatives, (laughs) like whatever it is. And Crazy. it's this, it's the smallest things that can take up the most time as a manager. Like when you have a casual staff who hardly works there, but there's like issues with bullying and then, and you're like spending uh-huh. days trying to resolve these issues through, you know, all the proper channels. And, and it just, it's like those small mm. things that you're like, I also have everything <laughs> to take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, like staffing and doing your rostering when it should just be super simple and surely somebody has come up with like the smartest way to do it in tech. But no, we have the most outdated systems that require manual input for the 100 shifts a week. (laughs) Like what the hell? It is crazy. Yeah. We digress. (laughs) um, But you feel our painlessness and I'm sure that if you're a leader listening, you will resonate with that and relate Mm -hmm. to that. You talk a lot about creating an intentional life and really following, you know, what it is that you feel aligned to. So for the people listening, um, how do they start on that process? How do they start finding the work that lights them up? How did they start getting curious mm. about it? So it's really important to create space for yourself to really think about what you want, what your values are, what's really important to you and what feels right in your body. like beyond the like logical thoughts, like what feels right. If you just close your eyes and spend time in silence and, and, you know, and I think when people are making decisions, a lot of times like, Oh, I don't know if I should take this job or this job. I have two job offers just sitting with it and actually Mm. like letting your body feel and seeing what comes up for you. And then, I mean, there's also practical pieces with creating an intentional life around like childcare and commutes. I've always been someone firmly against long commutes. Like I would never, it, I know mm. people who spend, you know, over 10 hours a week commuting, um, in their car or on transit or a mix of both. And that's, that's a hobby. Like you could have a full, very dedicated hobby in that time. So I mean, but, but it works for some people. Like if, you know, if you, if your best friends are over there and you had to move out of the city into the next city and you want to do that commute, then that, that would never work for me, but that might work for you. And it's really figuring out like, what do you need? What's going to work for you? And I think the other thing 
one of the other things that's really important is just knowing your personal signs of when things are going sideways for you. So Mm. how do you know when something's not working for you? Like, are you getting really angry and really short with your partner? Like, are things just like you're feeling just so exhausted that you can't function? Like there's some like of the more obvious signs and then there's some of the more subtle signs. And just being really aware of what's going on for you. Mm. I know during COVID, I had a temporary position where I was working 20 hours a day, some days, like it was like, I woke up and I was just so anxious because I had slept for like an hour. Mm. And I was like, I need to be back there. And then, you know, I'd be back there for 16 hours. And then I would come home and I would have to respond to emails for four hours. And it was just it was a bad setup. It was very temporary. But as you can imagine, like it was only that bad for about a month. But as you can imagine, that would still mm. take a toll on you. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I I had gotten off that project and I was on to another project and they were um, like, there was a lot of unclear communication and I was like suggesting more meetings so we could get on the same page and like have a successful launch of this new program that was starting. And I was feeling so frustrated just by the whole process. And I was just like, not coping well. I was clearly not coping well. My communication with others was not where it should have been because I was just like, still feeling the impact of that other work so much. And then this work not going well was like, Mm. it like after that project, I told my director at the time, I was like, okay, I need, I need some time. I need like to take a couple weeks off because I am not in a good way. And like, I need a break. (laughs) So it's, it's, you know, figuring out a way that when you're not to notice when you're not doing well, however, it's coming out and doing what you need to do to be able to help yourself heal and be able to, Mm. to be in the space that you want to be in. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. So powerful. I I couldn't agree more. I, I, I talk a lot about creating your career. Why? And really aligning yourself with why you do what you do, not on a surface level, on a deep level, like that it makes you feel something. And for those listening, there's a, there's a whole episode about connecting with your career. Why? But um, one thing that I get my nurse, you know, coaches to do or work through is building a career protocol because we love guidelines. We love, you know, strict rules. And I think, well, why wouldn't you have strict rules around like your requirements for your next job? or your career moving forward. And if it doesn't fit within that protocol, don't do it. That's a decision-making tool to help you move forward and to stay connected to who you are, who you want to be as you build your career, rather than, like you say, flipping between all these different opportunities and being overwhelmed and sitting in indecision, like none of that serves you. And it's just going to add to the cognitive overload. Like, it's so funny as clinicians, we know what it's like to be cognitively overloaded because like five past seven in the morning, we're already overloaded for the day. But yet we continue to just add layers and layers upon it within our career. Um, Creating that space is just so important to work through that. I love that your career why and that kind of thing that that can be a compass for you and make sure that you're in the right direction. Because that's another thing that um, I think is really important is you may not be moving into your most ideal situation 
but are you going in the direction that you want to be going in? Are you getting closer to it? Is it something that's aligned or are you totally going off course? And I mean, sometimes we go off course to meet a short-term need. Like if you have a short-term childcare mm. thing that, you know, you you need to take this temporary position because of X, Y, Z. Then, you know, there's those short-term things that come up. But overall, like how far are you straying from where you want to be and where you're in a place that like really matters to you? And I think the the other thing that i think a lot about is like we focus so much on doing and it's like adding another thing all the time i want to be better at this i want to have this amazing workout routine i want to do x y and z and often forget the being and how we're actually showing up and are we mm becoming more of who we want to be do you ever just meet a person and you're like oh my gosh they're like a warm hug like you walk into the room they have not yep. touched you but you're like <laughs> you're a warm hug and you want me to you make me want to be a better person and that's the mm. like the the beingness just in in general and i think the why helps us like mm. when we're on the path of the why or on a path aligned with mm. the why we can show up more in the way that we want to show up. And, you know, mm. maybe, maybe it's, it's doing less, but doing it more from a more grounded place or from more of a place that we want to be doing it from. I just went really off course with that, but <laughs> hopefully you know what no, I mean. No, I know it's super powerful. Yeah, no, it's super powerful. And I think that I'm what I'm kind of hearing there, like what I hear a lot and, and what you just kind of talked about is that we attach ourselves to maybe a why that we've had like 10 years ago when we started a career. Like, oh my God, like you said earlier, I, Jenna, I didn't really want to be a clinician, like neither did I. <laughs> and here we are. And like I'll, I latched onto that for a long time rather than stopping and reevaluating. Like once you've done your graduate program or you went to the community or you've done your first few years, like, re, like re, reevaluate this every six months. Like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Because that's going to get you through the shit days. It's going to get you through the hard times. It's going to get you through the relatives that are screaming at you or the patient that's trying to throw something at you. <laughs> it's going to move you forward. And I love that you talk about the idea that it doesn't matter if you take a sidestep. Like, you, you are living proof of the fact that you can take a sidestep. You can go back, and I'm using inverted um, commas here because it's not a step back. It is becoming more aligned with what it is that you intentionally want from your career. Why wouldn't you do it? I love it. So cool. In terms of your uh, coaching program, so you work with nurses um, within a coaching program. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, I work with nurses who are at all different stages in their career and have all different sorts of goals. Some nurses that want to stay where they are and in the same position, but want to just change how they're showing up or change the boundaries that they have at work and just make it feel a bit more sustainable. Sometimes nurses are looking for new jobs or trying to figure out the next step in the career. And sometimes they want to leave the profession mm -hmm. altogether and maybe stay within healthcare, but all sorts of different goals. But one of the big things is helping people get really clear on what really matters to them on their values on like you talked about mm -hmm. the why of what they're doing and having sort of that idea of when they know something that really grounds them into knowing that they're going in the right direction or they're straying further from the direction that 
they want to be going in. And also focusing on that being that we talked about and showing up in the way that they want to show up and helping them figure out how to do that and really intentionally creating their life. Mm. Um, also dig into a lot around habits and routines and just setting yourself up for success making. If there's changes that people want to make, trying to make it as seamless as possible. And really a lot around self-compassion. We hear so much about self-care, but a lot less about self-compassion. Mm-hmm. So we really dive into what would being compassionate to ourselves look like and how we can have more of that. Cause you know, it's inevitable that we make mistakes in healthcare. We're humans. We're, you know, our plates are more than full and mistakes are inevitable. So instead of ruminating and beating ourselves up and how can we just not cutting ourselves all the slack in the world and not caring and not holding ourselves to a high standard, but acknowledging that we are human, those mistakes are going to happen. And when they do happen, how can I learn from them and still like, Acknowledge what's gone on, acknowledge how I'm feeling, and then move on from it. Because mm. hanging on to that forever isn't helping us. So really, like, becoming our ally instead of our enemy. Because I see that so much where nurses are just, like, beat themselves up and aren't that kind to themselves. Have a mm. lot of compassion for others, but less for themselves. A lot around managing stress and avoiding preventing burnout and recovering from burnout. Is that something that's happening for that person or has happened for that person? And boundaries and communication are also a big thing that we cover. Because like we talked about, you can have all the boundaries in the world, Mm. but if you're not able to communicate them, you know, and really understanding the purpose of like, what boundary am I setting and why am I setting this and where might I need more boundaries or, you know, some people like don't need as many and just naturally Mm. are able to sort of figure out what works well for them. And then we also focus a lot around just like the big picture of like growth and how in my career, inside and outside of my career, I want to grow um, Mm. and leadership if that's something that they're interested in, um, you know, diving into like how to get that experience and develop those skills and set yourself up in a position that, you know, if something comes up, you're able to talk about position yourself as a really strong candidate for those things. Mm, super, so comprehensive. Yeah, I love that. I'm like, literally, where can I sign up? <laughs> I feel like I want to come, come and fix all my problems. I love that. So where can people learn more about like what you do? And where can they connect with you to learn more about your program? Yeah, I'm most active on Instagram for social media. And I'm at Jess Lucia Wellness. And then I do have a website, JessLuciaWellness.com. So there's a contact me page through that. Or you can send me a DM on Instagram. I love it. Awesome. Make sure that you check Jess out online for sure. I always like to wrap up with um, a new thing that I'm doing, which is rapid fire. So I think it's a bit fun. So the idea is that it's short and sweet um, and that we try and get one. Well, I can never do this, but one to two word answers. So are you ready? I, yes, just it. as a disclaimer, I like to give a lot of context. So <laughs> I'm going to do my best and ask questions. I'm like, okay, so but... 
I would like more information. So I'm just going to do my best to not overthink it. But if you're curious about any of my answers, like DM me later and I can have a conversation with any of you listening about my answers. (laughs) I love that. Okay, let's go for it. Okay, question one. What's your favorite specialty in healthcare? (laughs) Harm reduction. A lot of my work has been with folks who use substances and just helping them be safer within their use. That's awesome. Cool. What is the worst part of nursing for you? Oh, good question. <laughs> so many things. <laughs> Hard to pick one. Ah, I'm not doing very good at this rapid fire. You're That's so okay. Fun. You can pass if you like. <laughs> um, I think uh, toxic workplaces generally. I'll leave it mm, there. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't like those toxic workplaces for mm. sure. All right, question three. What's the most common nursing challenge that you see as a coach? What's the biggest thing that most people present with? I think getting stuck on shoulds. And like we talked about Mm. that, like you can't go back to where you were if it's not working for you. So just like those ingrained ideas, I think is Mm. contributes to a lot of stress for people. And yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I should have done this. I should have done that. I missed this opportunity because I should, yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't Mm. do that to yourself, people. (laughs) It's nasty. Okay, final question. What's the best advice that you've ever received? (laughs) Don't listen to the advice and just trust yourself. (laughs) Someone told me that recently. I was like, that is actually the best advice. That That is so good. Don't listen to the advice. (laughs) And I think, I think it's just, and when they said it, they were talking about the generic advice that we often hear around, mm. like, everyone needs to do X. If there's any generic advice, um, I'm always very, like, everyone needs to do. I'm I'm always quite skeptical of that. So I, mm. I appreciated, like, don't listen to the advice in the context of very generic advice. That's so good. Yeah, we don't want to mm. listen to the royal we. We don't need to follow that path. We can create our own unique path. Yeah, unique absolutely. individuals, because we are so unique precious individuals i love that well thank you so much for your time it has been a pleasure and make sure you check out uh, jess lucia on instagram jess lucia wellness um and until next time um thank you so much jess for your time thank you so much everybody this was fun thank you (laughs) take care (laughs) if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast episode please take a wee minute to leave a review. It would mean the absolute world to me. If you are ready to start taking action in your career and you need some support, why wait? Come and join my private Facebook community. The link is in the show notes below. Within the community, we take what we discuss in this podcast and we put it into action. Currently, I am looking for nurses who are ready to stop playing small and invest in themselves to create the life and the career they want to live. If that sounds like you, then please get in touch. Until next time, thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay forever curious, my nursing friends.